One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. So excited to have everyone along. And, and I'm going to just jump right in. You, there's, there's times when we have guests, I think we're booked through December now. Um, already. And, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm always excited for any guest that comes on, but every once in a while, you kind of circle a guest. And that's what I've done for this one. I was really, really looking forward to this interview. Uh, and so I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time and we're just going to jump into it. This gentleman has personally interviewed business leaders and companies like Nike, Reebok, Fruit of the Loom, FedEx, American Airlines, Ugg Boots, Uber, KFC, McDonald's, Disney, United Airlines, Ted Baker, and others so that they can share their success secrets with you. ABC Television and Fox Business referred to him as the modern day Napoleon Hill. And of course, all of you that are my longtime listeners, how many times have we discussed Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich. He's also the producer and director of four out of the top 10 personal development movies ever made, and now the new hit uh, film, which is How Thoughts Become Things. He's authored three books in the Guerrilla Marketing Series, and he's a regular featured expert on Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, CTV, CBC, and others. His training programs share strategies of how to connect with the highest level achievers and expand your network to grow your business. His award-winning entrepreneur training programs have been rated among the best in the world. Let's bring him on, Doug Vermeeran. Doug, how are you, sir? I am doing excellent. Thank you for having me. So we're so excited to have you here. And, and thank you for the, the I, I got a, a link to be able to see the movie. And so, of course, got a chance to watch the movie. It's fantastic. Oh, we had such a fun time making it, too. And you've got a powerhouse of people that, that's on it. Go ahead and rattle just some of the people of the that are in it with you. Yeah, sure. So we got Bob Proctor, Dennis Waitley, uh, Joe Vitale, John Demartini, John Osroff, Marie Diamond, Bob Doyle. Uh, like, you name it. We've, we've got some of the heavy hitters in there. And again, it, it was so much fun to make it because I could ask them any question I wanted, right? <laughs> sure. And beyond that, they're, they're kind of your crew, right? I mean, they are. Yeah, we're a posse. We, we do a lot of stuff together, it seems. <laughs> well, and is you know, Jim Rohn, right? Who, who actually is credited the five people around you, right? I've heard Jim Rohn credited. I've heard a couple other people credit Max. Oh, yeah. Uses it all the time. Yeah. But. And, but you know what? Here, if we're talking about how thoughts become things, this is something I really hope people got from the film, is that everybody talks about our programming from the past, right? You were a kid. Yeah. Your parents didn't treat you great. You know, you were a dysfunctional family. And now we use that as a crutch and excuse to say why we're all so messed up. But the truth is, is most people don't realize that our programming is continually ongoing. And that idea of we become like the five people we spend. I love that word spend. It's, it's current tense, not past tense, who we spend the most time with. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the quickest way to shift your programming right now. If you feel like you got dealt a bad hand, just start leveling up that uh, influence around you and you'll see some things change in a hurry. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's something that, you know, I, I came through a near bankruptcy in 2014, um, really, really close, right? And just had to reevaluate everything. That's uh, when I joined the, the John Maxwell team and started to, to level up the game. And some of the people, you know, we were talking uh, kind of in pre-show, just some of the people we know in common. But once I started to, to advance around them, I really started to advance. And I'll tell you, the exciting thing for me uh, was really understanding the subconscious and how much that plays into not only creating everything that, that, that you hope to gain, 
but 100%. how to build that as a muscle. Will you talk about a l- yeah. that a little bit? Well, well let, let me also share another thought that I think is really kind of cool that um, I teach in some of my training. You've heard, of course, the idea that your network becomes your net worth. We've all heard that idea. But what we don't really do is dissect that word net worth a little bit. And it's really two words, net and worth. And everybody focuses on the money. That's important. Okay. We won't deny that. But worth, worthiness, worthwhile values, right? If you think about it, who you hang out with also becomes your net values, right? And we rise to the standards of those that we surround ourselves with and the things that they value, right? So I think it's really important to recognize that when we are choosing to find out who is our immediates, right? Who's our favorite five? Who's our team supreme? The people that we're going to really learn from. We've got to recognize that it's not just about, hey, I'm going to hang out with money people. I want to hang out with people who really value the same things as me and can help me open the doors in the direction of the things that I value. Um, One of the things that I also think was kind of cool just about this idea of value, when we were making the movie The Treasure Map, I was chatting with my buddy John Demartini, and he said something really kind of cool, and it stuck with me. He said, um, everyone is wealthy, it just appears in the form that we value most. And so most of the time, like if you think about your day, like you give your priority to the things that you really find important and that you value. And so if we start hanging around with people that have a, a powerful set of values that harmonize and fit with ours, we can start seeing kind of how all the activities as let's call it the ultimate mastermind, right? The way they think, the way we think, the way th- together we think. If we really build a strong value, then we start doing things at a, at a different level. Now, I, you said it in a really positive manner, though, because you said rise to their standards, but there's also that potential then to lower those standards if you're not surrounding yourself with the right five. Well, yeah, it's kind of like what Bill Bartman told me. I don't know if you know Bill. He was at one time the 25th wealthiest guy in the United States. He says, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Yeah. Right. And and, and so I, I know that's kind of funny, but the truth is we don't look at it enough. Actually, one of, one of my favorite experiences in my entire life that shifted everything for me, right, really shifted everything. Um, as you can imagine, interviewing 400 of the world's top achievers, you start seeing some success markers that are just clear, right? I mean, it, it's funny because I had a lawyer once tell me if I had three witnesses for a court case, I'd be in pretty good shape. If I had a dozen, I'd be awesome. If I had 400 indisputable facts, 100%. And so, you know, maybe I'm a bit blessed because the stuff that I've been able to learn, I haven't really seen a lot of personal development people that have been able to have 400 resources like that, right? So um, as part of that, I'm sorry, this will be the first negative comment, hopefully the last, but I notice a lot of coaches, speakers, and trainers that are out there aren't really always teaching what's really required for true success because they've never really built like seven or eight figures in their life, right? So they're kind of reading someone else's book. They saw the secret to more of their law of attraction coach or they go see Tony Robbins and to more of their life coach or business coach, whatever, right? But when I saw the top 400 achievers, I had some real experiences that shifted everything. So here's one that's really kind of cool for me. So I um, had an idea for a business. I was 19 at the time. I was in the thick of these interviews with the top achievers. And um, so I decided I'm going to talk to one of these top achievers about my business. So I sat down with a guy named Ryan who was worth about $300 million at the time. And as I was sitting with him, I said to him, hey, I got this business idea. What should I do to find customers? What should I do to do the marketing? What should I do to um, you know, uh, find my demographics? What should I do to get the distribution here? What should I do to raise funds? And he just, you know, politely sat there and observed me for a minute. And then he said something that kind of hurt my feelings, but was really profound. He says, Hmm, I can see you're going to start a very small company. And I said, what? That's not my goal. I don't want to start a small company. I want to start a big company. And he just kind of, again, politely shook his head and said, no, you're going to start a small company. So I said, okay, tell me why, why? 
He goes, well, it's because you're asking selfish questions. And I said, what do you mean by that? Then he explained, he said, so many of these gurus say this idea, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Yeah. So instead of asking, how can I, how should I, he says, shift your questions to ask this, who, who? So in other words, who can help me find my customers? Who can do my marketing? Who can solve this problem? Who can do that? And the truth of the matter is, is we shouldn't, to create success, step out of our comfort zone to try and be a jack of all trades, a master of none, and try and do everything. His advice was that we step into our brilliance zone, the thing we are incredibly good at. Then we go hire other people who can solve the problems with things that they're incredibly good at, and then we can't be stopped. And it kind of goes with what Steve Jobs once said. He said, we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. I'm going to add to that. We also hire smart people so they can actually go do it and make us the money, right? That's the real method that we need to do is we need to start surrounding ourselves with really that dream team, that team supreme. And, and I think I think when you get into that point, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, recently for me is when I really started to look at who could do it, mm. right? So I, I feel like I'm the great connector, but I did everything on my own and always felt like, not if it was up to me, you know, it was meant to be, but more so to my standards versus, right? Well, and that, well, here, that was here, a big here, thing. That's an interesting thing you say that too, because um, one thing that you, you kind of didn't mention in the opening, but it's not really super important is Money Magazine just recently rated me as the number one passive income coach in the world. And the reason why is I'm doing about 14 million per year in passive income, no job attached. And the thing that I've had to learn the thing that every entrepreneur has to learn, the thing that you just mentioned, is to first of all recognize I'm not going to do it perfect either. So it's right. okay to also hire someone that's not going to do it perfect. And I'd rather, and here's the definition of wealth, if, if you guys really want the true definition of, of rich, it must include time, not just money. It must include time. So yes, I want the 14 million, but here's the deal is I'm done most days. I know it's going to sound really kind of a bit smug, but uh, my next book is called The Six Minute Workday. 360 seconds, and I'm generally done everything I need to do. Why? Because I've learned a system, and a system means either to delegate or automate. Those are the only two choices you have. So yeah. when you understand the power of delegation and automation, it creates wealth, but not just because it creates money, but more so because it creates time. So when somebody else is off doing let's just call it a mediocre job of something that I would also do a mediocre job with. I can actually be somewhere else, either enjoying my family, which is a form of wealth to me, or I can be perfecting the systems while someone else is doing it. So I'm genuinely not working uh, as, as Michael Gerber says, uh, we're working on our business, not in our business. And yeah. most people, they have no clue what that even means. And, and it's, it's a newer thing for me it, 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 as I've grown in, in, you know, I built a, a company up to about 40 people. We, we did well, but to your point, everything ran through me. I didn't delegate, didn't automate, didn't do anything. So well, well if you're a cog in the wheel, plan. if yeah. you're a cog in the wheel, you're the clog in the wheel. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and hit an absolute leadership lid. And it was time to, to start to look beyond that. Yeah. Uh, and, and funny enough, when you say step into your brilliance for me, I came up in project management I'm a project management person but my brilliance was in sales and selling the dream and influencing people into what the dream was. Um, not necessarily writing the project schedule and organizing the team to get there. Does that make sense? Well, well, you know what would be really cool? And this is just a thought for you to think about if your skill set is sales. And by the way, I love sales too, because sales is the idea to get other, the, the, the thought of getting other people to buy into your ideas. Mm -hmm. So my challenge to you would be, you know, uh, go and sell some of the top leaders and CEOs to be part of your journey. 
sell yeah. them on why they need to step in. And people with big customer bases, like here's the deal. There's a difference between networking at a $10 breakfast versus a million dollar area, right? You'll never do a million dollar deal in a $10 breakfast. And right. so at these higher levels, you know, it's different than the lower levels. At the lower levels, people are looking for customers. That's what they come. They come to the networking event to sell people. At the high level, we're looking for people that already have our customers, big groups. So this is my challenge to you. Go out and, and, and sell yourself and your idea to these people who already can move it to the next level. All right. So we're just going to go ahead and shut the show down right here and I'll take off and, and go start to do that. <laughs> Report back. We'll see you in an I, I'm hour. An, I'm an action person. So we are going to take a break right here. We're going to be right back with Doug. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're visiting with Doug Vermeeren, who is the producer of How Thoughts Become Things. And in when you were talking through that, Doug, the first time you uh, you brought up uh, The Secret, the movie The Secret. How is your film different from The Secret? Well, you know what? I guess the, the thing that I think is important to recognize, the film The Secret really opened the doors for so much more, but it was also the beginning of a conversation, right? There was so much more that we could get into. But how is it really different? Let's talk about that for a second then. In the film, Mike Dooley says, thoughts become things. You remember he's all like dramatic with it? <laughs> but he, he, never, he never really, and I love that, thoughts become things, right? Like, but the truth is, is he never really talked about the how, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what got me thinking. And the more that I looked at this question of how thoughts become things, there's such a big journey, not just with the law of attraction, but even modern neuroscience and psychology and so much that we've kind of grown to understand about how our thoughts really are generated. And, and there's also a lot of misunderstandings, right? Like if we look at this idea of thoughts become things, um, there's actually two words even in our title that everyone neglects. Everyone's focused on our thoughts. How do I overcome negative thinking? How do I beat fear? How do I, et cetera, et cetera. And then they also focus on the things. How do I get the Ferrari? How do I get the money? How do I get the, but they don't focus on actually, I think the two most important words, which is how having a bit of a process that we can follow and recognizing and creating awareness, but the become which is really the change that we needed to make. I was sitting with Bob Proctor when we were filming this. And again, you know, this famous line that he did share in The Secret, everything vibrates at a frequency, right? Like we talked about that again. And we talked about why is it that most people can't bring some of these things into their lives? And whether you're thinking from sort of the new age point of view or even just modern psychology, it's because they're not prepared to become. They're not prepared to make the changes. They're not prepared to put in the work, right? I love what Jim Rohn said. You and I were talking about Jim a little bit before. Jim said that if somebody wins the lottery and they want to keep it, they need to learn how to become a millionaire very quick, right? Yeah. And, and I think that this is what we try to address in the film. And um, for me, I think there's a lot of really cool things that we share in the film that no one's really talked about. Like here's something that I think is, is really important. Um, everybody, I think, from watching The Secret and maybe, you know, a lot of the other seminars and tools that are out there, they always hear this idea that you got to think positive. You got to think these pristine, empowering thoughts, proactive, and that's the way you're going to get to where you're at. Well, you know what? Truth is, is I've never been able to do that. And I know a lot of people who also struggle and they think they're a failure. I'll never manifest everything and I'll just, you know, keep trying, but I, I'm, I'm failing. Well, the truth of the matter is, is thoughts actually don't arrive positive or negative. They arrive both. They have a duality to them. And if you don't believe me, I know that we're talking about work home life here. Uh, Think about when you started maybe a business, right? The first thought is, is, wow, I could do this. These are the positive thoughts, right? I could be profitable. I could be effective. I've got a background in this. I could be successful. And right behind it is the doubt. I don't know. Maybe I can't. Maybe it's not for me, right? And so when the thought arrives, it has a positive and a negative to it. But what happens is, is that positive and negative thought, if you think of it kind of like landing in a nest, if you will, that nest is our support mechanisms, our programming, our feelings about ourselves. It's like it's the jungle. It's the mess. It's the marketplace. It's all our interpretations and our perceptions of things. And if you've got a negative sort of outlook on things already and your support group is negative and your family's negative and your programming is negative, all of a sudden that dual thought, the negative side will receive more power. But if you've got, you know, an awareness and a positive nature, and even if you've got some negativity in there, but you've got enough of a belief in yourself and maybe a strong emotional commitment to this and your why is perfect. If you find your why power, you find your willpower, right? And so if this, if this positive and negative thought lands in that environment, all of a sudden the positive has more power. And I think it's really interesting just going again to the 400 top achievers that I interviewed. Um, you know, the thing that surprises me is how many of them actually came from a difficult background. Sure. And they made that awareness, that choice, right? And I think that that's one of the greatest powers that we have, but most of us neglect, is that whenever a thought arrives with its positive and negative, we have a choice. Most people, unfortunately, are on autopilot and they just sort of dismiss it because it seems like it just might be hard. Yeah, we, we talked uh, about Paul Martinelli, but I mean, he was a, a janitor, high school dropout, stuttering problem, was told he was stupid his whole life, and now he's, you know, 
a very, very successful gentleman leading yeah. a huge tribe. And, right? and I don't think I came from a great background either. In fact, you know, they call me the modern day Napoleon Hill. But what led to that? The truth of the matter is, is uh, we didn't have any personal development in my home. My father worked in construction. My mom babysat kids in the home. They understood the poverty pattern very well. In other words, paycheck to paycheck, working for a living, heavily entrenched in the rat race, trading time for money. That's what they taught us. Work hard. And I believe that, right? Growing up, I believe working hard was the answer. And so when I uh, was really getting quite discouraged because it wasn't really producing any results for me, it was at about that time that a friend gave me Think and Grow Rich. And quite frankly, um, you know, for being vulnerable right now, I'm so glad he did because I was so depressed at the time that um, thoughts of suicide and failure and things of this nature were not uncommon for me. So it was, uh, you know, it was a real big shift. But I think that this is kind of an interesting lesson that I think everybody in the audience needs to really understand who you were yesterday, who you even are today. It really doesn't matter if you make a new choice. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, by the way. I never preface that. But I did say that we can get started wherever we are. In fact, one of the things that's kind of cool that I talk about in the movie that was really interesting, when I went out and I interviewed the top achievers, uh, I also put in some people that were not who you'd think. Right. So in other words, I didn't just interview the A-listers, you know, the Richard Bransons and the Mark Cubans and the people everybody knows. I picked some people that I thought were also making a significant difference, specifically in the areas of change and transformation. And so I selected actually to interview a person that trains suicide hotline workers. Now, I thought that was interesting. If you think about it, we've got all these personal yeah. development people in the world who talk about, I can make a change in a weekend and I can do, and they maybe can, and I'm not disputing that. But can you imagine a suicide hotline worker? You have somebody calling in on their you know, most despair moment of all. You're like, these people, some of them have already even taken pills or they've got a gun sitting on the bed by them or who knows what their plan is, right? And so if you're going to make a change for somebody, you better hustle, right? Like you yeah. don't have a lot of time. And so I said to this lady, I said, um, so you know, tell me what's like, what are sort of some of the rules of the game with this? And she says, one of the only things we really can't say is don't kill yourself. And I said, what? Like to me, that's a number one. I'm going to say right, that first. first. Don't kill yourself. You Let's talk. Yeah. Right. Don't kill yourself. And she said, no, the reason why is because most people, when they are in that state of despair, feel like they already have all their choices taken away. And if you tell them what to do, you're just another part of that equation of telling them they have no choice. Don't do it. Don't do it. And she said, instead, we do it this way, which I thought was very clever. She said, we tell them they could kill themselves. Yes, that's a choice. But then we help them see the consequence. This is what it would look like if you chose to do that. But you could also call and get help. And that's what this looks like. And you could stick around and maybe get some counseling. And that's what this looks like. And we start helping them see their options. Then she said something really profound. She said that the more choices a person feels like they have, the more power they have. Yeah. And I also kind of equated that to this. You hear people say that happiness is a choice. I don't think that's entirely true. I think happiness is a choice, but being pleased with the consequences that follow, right? Because yeah. I think a lot of people make their choices based on immediate gratification. They make them based on emotion, sometimes even temporary emotions. In fact, one of the top achievers that I interviewed gave me this advice about money, but I think it applies to everything. He says, never make big decisions when you're, when you're in a state of high emotion. Right. Yeah. Meaning if, if you're trying to make a decision out of anger or frustration, I mean, heaven knows, I mean, uh, everyone is like this, right? We've all said things to people that we love when we're in a state of high emotion that we definitely wish we could take back or we wish For we sure. never would have said. And yep. so I think that applies to everything. We've got to be really careful about 
you know, recognizing consequences, part of everything we do. So when people start to go down that negative path, um, mm. how do they, how do they, so for instance, I've got a friend that every time something pops up, the first thing she thinks through is the four things that could go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, which, which I think, you, you know, we need pe need people like that uh, to help us see risk and overcome risk. But how do you start to, to free them and to make a change that's a little bit more permanent? Um, well, you, you know, that's an interesting question too. And I think what I've experienced, um, you know, as we've done sort of like our personal power mastery training around the world and stuff is that momentum is always more, po more positive and more permanent and more effective than motivation. Because motivation, basically, we have to be in the mood. We've got to feel like it. Even if we've got a to-do list on our desk and, I, and there's things that I know I need to do, I'm going to procrastinate if I don't feel like it, right? I'm going to push it off. But momentum, if I can get myself into a form of habit and create some ritual tendencies, some things that I'll return to and I'll do again and again, it becomes much easier. But here's how habit is created. Habit is created because at one point we have received value from an activity that we did. We, it's been in line with, with the things that we treasure the most. And so I think it comes back to that really um, way back in, it's funny, way, way before Simon Sinek was talking about it in my first film, I talked about the power of why. And how do we really discover our why? What's the true essence of why? And the funny thing is, is it's not just having your why have meaning to you. You, you hear everybody say that we've got to dial into our own passion and purpose, right? Well, Warren Buffett says what you love about you is your hobby. What others love about you is your business. So it can't just be about your passion and purpose. So my advice is, where does your passion and purpose overlap? the passion and purpose of others. And that's the sweet spot. So same thing with your why, where your why overlaps the why of others. Now, not only is that going to be your most profitable place for business, but it's also going to be your strongest sense of validation. And so when you are experiencing negativity, if you can find a why that makes sense to you and those that you're serving, it'll be so much easier to be valuable to those people. And when you feel valuable, you just keep going. That's a new habit, right? We're going to keep doing what makes us feel really, really good. Yeah. I love that momentum versus motivation. I think that's a fantastic uh, switch on it. Uh, so we're going to take another break right here. We'll be back with Doug Vermeeren and you're listening to Rick Morris on the work-life balance. We'll be right back after this. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. At the Work-Life Balance, we like to ask simple questions to our executives and portfolio managers. Are you picking your projects based on what the organization can spend, or is it based on what your resources can realistically achieve? This question, if not answered properly, can cause great strain on your staff, limiting the return on investment. When creating project selection criteria, does your organization attempt to understand the amount of resources needed to complete the work? Is this done in spreadsheets or at a high level? What if we told you there was a simple and easy solution 
solution that was built with resource planning in mind. We call it Resource First from PDWare. Resource First was built with resource planning as its foundation. We have years of experience that proves before a company fine-tunes its project and portfolio management processes. Without a process for resource planning, the best processes and algorithms can fall flat. Resources should be first when deciding the strategy of taking an organization forward. Find out more at pdware.com. Put your people first with Resource First from PDWare. Join us at pdware.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We are talking to the producer of How Thoughts Become Things, as well as several other uh, movies out there. We've got Doug Vermeer in here with us. Doug, you just said, uh, you're right, it wasn't in your bio, but you were just voted number one uh, passive income coach by Money Magazine. Is that correct? That's right. So let's, let's talk passive income. I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there as to what passive income really means. You know, I, I think right now in the time of COVID, everybody's out putting their online programs. And of course, uh-huh. as soon as you set it up and publish it, you know, of course, that money's just going to roll in or, oops, I just need Facebook ads. And then we're going to be just rolling in the dough. Talk to us about some of those misconceptions. Wow. Well, a couple of things that I think are really important to just hit on right off the bat is that the word passive and the phrase passive income are so misunderstood. In fact, if, if I had it if I, in my power, if I was the Webster's Dictionary guy that could rework some words here, what I would probably do is I'd shift the order and sequence of those words, first of all, so it would come out as active-passive, meaning that there is so much activity that needs to be put in properly and put in place before an income stream can become passive. And most people think it, passive income means free money. Let's just like you said, put up this website and off to the races we go. And the other thing that's, I think, really important to just recognize is that passive income is a lot older than the internet. <laughs> it just seems like everybody's sure. talking about it now, right? Like, let's build a course and put it up. But the truth is, is um, passive income, which actually I prefer to call it leveraged income because it utilizes systems, uh, has been around since the beginning of time. If you think about it, you know, even uh, the first day that somebody rented a property or rented a, a physical object to someone else, that's a form of passive income, right? Or the, the first time somebody used the labors and efforts of someone else to produce uh, income, it was leveraged. It was passive. And so I think, you know, the one thing that I think for the business owners that are listening is that we got to kind of get it into our mind that the goal with everything is to create more passivity, right? It's to to create that leveraged income. We want other people to make the money for us. We want other people to give the customer support for us. We want other people to do our marketing. We want to, it's really a game of delegation. And again, I'll repeat that any kind of system can either be delegated or automated. Those are the only two things that we're ever going to do. Now, how does a person do that? Because this is the question. Everybody at home is probably saying, yeah, well, that's nice to say, but you know, I've, I've got so much stuff that needs to get done and I, I'll never be able to free myself from it, right? Like I'm as passive as I'm ever going to be. Um, I guess number one, first thing to understand is that passiveness comes in degrees. 
So it's kind of like a dimmer switch, right? So it's going to be varying degrees of you in or you out. And the first step to really identifying the you out, I think it, uh, you know, really kind of fun story. Again, when I was about, uh, well, probably about 20 at this point, I met with another business owner, uh, again, a friend of mine who I'm still very, very close with. And, um, you know, he's, he's almost just shy, probably, you know, a couple hundred thousand of being a millionaire right now. And by the way, that's COVID time, right? Okay. Yeah. So very difficult to, to kind of keep and maintain those kind of monies, but he's doing it. So I met with him and um, one of the things that was interesting is I brought a business plan of something I want to show him and, uh, you know, he sat me down and didn't even touch the paperwork, right? Didn't even touch this business plan, but he, he asked me a question. He says, so what are the transactions? I'd actually never really heard that at 20 before. So I started to talk about, okay, so these are our customers this is how we're going to do it. He stopped me again. He said, no, where are the transactions? And so again, I started to talk about something else, trying to hopefully, you know, show him I was smart, right? And so finally, after about three or four tries with this, he goes, no, 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 stop. What are the transactions? He says, identify the clear, basic transaction you're trying to get people to do. You are going to give them either an asset, service, or information. Those are the only three things you can sell. And they are going to give you money. How does that happen? How does that occur? So when I finally understood that, you know, I can't scale anything. I can't know my marketing. I can't know my advertising. I can't even know my customers until I know what is the real call to action transaction that they're going to give me money for, for again, either an asset service or information. So as soon as I identified that, then he did this neat little chart, like a circular chart with a happy face of me on one side on the, on one and a happy face of my customer on the other with the arrows kind of pointing from the customer to me. And then from me to the customer showing that transaction money, asset, service, or information. Then what he did was very interesting to me. He drew a series of lines between the two of us. And he said, so what needs to happen for this person to receive that asset, service, or information? And he said, there's really generally three categories of what has to happen. There's the tell, how are they hearing about you? The marketing, right? The advertising, the messaging, the branding, right? The next is the sell. So how are they going to actually be convinced to do business with me? And how am I going to receive the cash in that sale, right? Maybe you've even got uh, accounts receivable in that. And then he said, and the last one is what we call service. How are these people going to receive this, right? So if we can identify the steps in those three areas in this transaction, this is where it begins to become passive. He says, under the area of tell, how can we delegate a few of those to someone else? So if, you, if, if it's marketing, how can you give that away to somebody? So your income stream now just became more passive by the degree of what you just gave away. Then he talks about sell, right? Now you told me earlier, you love sales, but if you had an army of like 10 guys, just like you that were solid and out there, you would become more passive to the degree that you got that support and so on and so forth. So the object, I think, and maybe this is the challenge I think that most business owners have, they don't really clearly know the steps that are, all, that are involved in all the transactions they do. They just kind of know that another sale means a little bit of money, but they don't recognize all the elements of tell, sell, and service that goes into facilitating that transaction. And I think the more we can identify that, few things happen. First of all, now we know our systems so we can measure a lot better. We can see what's really happening in our business. We can see where the improvements need to be made, but we can also, when it comes to hiring, we know who our superstars need to be. In other words, I'm trying to find a killer marketing guy for this who will facilitate this kind of a transaction. Now I know specifically who I need to find because let's be honest, I mean, not all marketers are created equal and the same can be said about sales and service and everything else. But with more clarity, the more that we know, what is it that they say? 
uh, what we say in personal power mastery, a goal that is specific and clear becomes attainable and near. And that's the problem with most people. They, you know, lack of, of clarity. And that's why they're never making any money. In fact, it's so funny that as I look at all the top achievers that I ever interviewed that were um, not only the millionaire level, but more specifically the multi-millionaires and the billionaires, they had such clarity on everything in terms of the numbers and how the numbers are produced in their business. They really knew it. And you could like ask them almost any question. They know it off the top of their head. Or they would certainly just open up their phone and say, this is kind of the numbers that we're doing in real time right now. It's crazy. So what are some of your favorite questions that you've asked these high achievers? Not necessarily oh the responses. <laughs> I want to get into them, but some of your favorite questions that you like to wow. get into. Well, one of my favorite questions to always ask is what has been your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? Right? Because I want sure. to know, because the truth is, is if they hit that wall somewhere, I'm going to hit it. And it was interesting. I'll never forget one of my favorite answers to that was with Howard Putnam, the former CEO of Southwest Airlines. He'd also been the um, VP of customer service for United and also of Braniff Airlines. In fact, with Braniff, he was the only person in the history of the world to ever take an airline through chapter 11 and emerge without any government assistance, which was very cool. But, um, you know, I think a couple of things that he said that were really kind of neat on a family level, he said, uh, for a challenge, he says, I always made sure that my family, including my children, knew what was going on in my business life, that they understood what I was going through. So, and in fact, he used the phrase at the kitchen table, I would open the kimono. <laughs> That's what he said, right? So that everybody kind of knew. And at the same token, they felt like they could share their life with him. And I think this is a really big thing for a lot of entrepreneurs is that many of us, are severely out of balance, right? We're out of whack. And, sure. and sometimes, you know, our spouse or our family members don't really know what we're going through. And so they assume that we're workaholics because we're trying to do what we believe is the right thing and everything else. And they just don't understand sort of how our business is, is needing us at certain points. And by the way, I think, cause you can't explain it to others. You probably also can't teach someone else to put them in that position, right? The more we understand it, the more we can fill the position. So it's kind of a catch 22. Um, one of my favorite uh, questions also with Richard Branson was what was the biggest challenge that you had as an entrepreneur? And interestingly enough, um, we always see him talking about how if you want your customers to be treated well, treat your staff well. You've heard him say this, right? Yes. How we treat our staff will reflect on how we, we treat our customers. But, you know, he said, my biggest problem has always been finding really good people. <laughs> it really has been a big problem. So, you know, to me, that says he's burned through a lot of people, right? Sure. And I'm not saying that that means that um, it, it's been an intention, but he finds very quickly um, who's not working. In fact, Howard Putnam also mentioned something similar like that, too. He says, in Southwest, we actually always hired for attitudes rather than skills, because you can train the skills, skills, but you can't train the attitude. In fact, we talk about that uh, as something called the willingness factor. To be successful, there's two things that anybody needs. They need a correct strategy, and they need a high level of willingness. And you can't teach willingness, right? Yeah. If, a, if a person's not willing to do it, it doesn't really matter. If they don't catch the vision, you can't help them. But, you know, one of my favorite things, actually, that I, I observed, I didn't ask this as a question. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time to see it. Um, a gentleman that kind of became like a grandfather to me, we talked about him on break, was Howard, or uh, was, sorry, was Frank McGuire. Frank McGuire, actually, for those of you who don't know him, he started at ABC when it was radio, when it switched to TV. He gave Alan Alda, Charles Osgood, Ted Koppel their first jobs. He was the private philosophy teacher to Marilyn Monroe, really good friend of Elvis Presley's. Uh, he worked in the, in the White House under JFK and Lyndon B. Johnson. He actually used his skills and got JFK elected. He was part of the leadership team of that. He was also the VP of marketing for all of American Airlines 
and KFC, and they took it to number one in the New York Stock Exchange, and he was one of the four founders of FedEx. So this guy became like a grandpa to me, and I treasure, he's passed away now, but I treasure every moment that I had with him, and I'm so glad that I actually recorded audios with him about a lot of his life experiences. Just I listen to it and still learn from it now, but I miss him. So here's an experience we had that just blew me away. We were outside of a hotel uh, once. We had just together done a speaking event, and as we went out to um, you know, get our baggage loaded into the vehicle, this kind of bellboy kid helped us put all our you know, suitcases into the, into the vehicle. And then he kind of came around the car, and Frank had a tip for him. He had a $5 bill, and he held it out. And as he held it out, this kid grabbed it, but Frank didn't let go. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, is you have this older gentleman looking you dead in the eye, and he won't let go of your $5 tip. What do you do, right? So it kind of caught this kid off guard. So, but Frank now had his attention, like 100%. Frank says to him, what did I give you? The kid, not sure what to say, looks kind of down. He's like, uh, $5 bill? And Frank said, what's it worth? And the young kid kind of shrugs and says, uh, I don't know, five bucks? And Frank said, no, it all depends on what you do with it next. And to wow. me, that was a massively profound lesson to really recognize that every dollar we have is a seed. And yeah, you could go and you know, buy yourself a Starbucks or go see a movie or whatever, and, but then it's gone. Or you can make a different decision with that five bucks. And you know, I'm not necessarily saying compounding interest and put it in the bank and that's the, or in an investment, that's the only solution. No, I mean, you know, for me, I also look at every dollar that I invest and maybe to use your example of Facebook ads, right now with us running the movie, Every dollar I invest can often turn into, you know, 50 or 100 or even more, depending on who clicks on that, right? right? So we've got to recognize that the value of a dollar, and by the way, I don't just look at that with money. I look at that also with return on effort too. Every hour that I inject into something, what's the return it's going to give me, right? Because my time is a seed as well. And, you know, I don't know. It's kind of funny. One, one of my mentors once told me, on a, he says, on a regular Tuesday afternoon, do you want to know where you can find the crappiest salespeople in the world? And I, that question intrigued me. I said, where? And he goes, go to the movie theater because they're the guys who are sloughing off, taking the time off in the afternoon to catch a flick while everybody else is out there working. These people don't believe in themselves. They exclude themselves from the, the, you know, the whole program and they get themselves sitting in a movie theater somewhere. So he says, you'll find the worst salespeople in the world at the movie theater on the Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. I just thought that was a clever idea. And so obviously since then, for me personally, yes, I get everything done very quickly in a day. I do. But I also make sure that I, I'm not, you know, taking an afternoon nap or I'm not sitting playing yeah. gummy drop or Tetris in the middle of an afternoon or whatever it is, right? So we've got to understand that whether it's your business, your family relationships, your personal connection to yourself, whatever it is, man, time is short. And we've got to really recognize that life is just a gift, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to take our final break right here. We'll be right back. And I'm going to switch up uh, our question that we normally ask every guest. And I'm going to switch that up for him. When we come back, you're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet 
and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the final segment of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. Uh, Doug, we've been talking about the movie. Where can people go see it? The easiest place is just simply howthoughtsbecomethings.com. The name of the movie. So www.howthoughtsbecomethings.com. How things become thoughts. thoughts how become thoughts things. become gonna, things. Yeah. Hey, they're going to get it. But you know what? If you just type in how thoughts become things, you're also going to find it in Google. But add the dot com. You'll get there a lot quicker. The cool thing is, is right now we actually have added a bunch of bonuses too. So you get a workbook, some audios, and all kinds of other cool tools in that uh, on that website. So it's, it's a great time to do it. Uh, and those are limited time promotions. So I would definitely recommend it. And then personally for you, what, what is your website? How do people find you? Well, I've got lots of free tools that are out there. So you can find me on YouTube. We've got a channel up there also on Instagram, but we've got something really cool that we're doing lately that I, I think is worth mentioning. Uh, a lot of people who are in business or entrepreneurs, they really want to know how can I become more passive? How can I create more income streams? How can I fix the income streams I have? So we've got a new program called the Income Stream Challenge. You can go to incomestreamchallenge.com. And actually for only $9 a week, I actually bring on some of the top achievers I've been talking about today, some of these top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And um, we coach every week, like every single week on Wednesday, you can be part of this group coaching for only nine bucks. And I think there's several thousand dollars worth of bonuses there. In fact, I just wrote an an ebook that's in there called The Truth About Manifesting Money, because I really believe a lot of these um, books on manifesting are missing uh, a handful of really big elements. And there's all kinds of tools. Like, again, we'll show you exactly how I got to um, just over $14 million in passive income. And it's only nine bucks a week. Come visit us. You'll have a blast. So the the question I normally ask at this point is what's some of the best advice you've ever received, but talking yeah. to somebody who's interviewed as many people as you have, what are, what are two or three of your favorite nuggets that you've picked up from some of these uh, top achievers? Well, when we chatted in the break, I actually just wrote down three quick 
really little uh, thoughts, but have changed my life, like dramatically changed my life. So the first thing is, is everybody's heard this saying of, you want to become wealthy, take a millionaire to lunch. Well, the truth of the matter is, is one lunch will get you started, but it won't keep you going. So rather than just going to lunch, I'm going to suggest you need to learn how to create and maintain high level relationships. So it needs to be an ongoing thing because not only is your network, your net worth, but it's also your safety net. And it's going to be your safety net before or it's going to be your net worth, right? So it's going to increase the ability to solve problems. So you need to have relationships with millionaires. The other thing I'm going to suggest is we all need to up-level our networking. You'll never do a million-dollar deal at a $10 breakfast. We kind of talked about that. The other thing that I think is also important is this idea. We've heard it before. You can be rich or you can be right. The truth of the matter is, is the biggest challenge to any of your growth, whether it's financially in your life or in your personal life or whatever, it's going to be your ego. So you need to understand that students, people who are really genuinely curious, those are the people that are on their way to success. And the minute that you say, I've got this figured out is the minute you shut the door on any kind of possibilities. But the last one I think is maybe the important one. Uh, it's that the return on nothing is always nothing. So you need to get started. You need to do something. So if you've listened to this today, um, you know, the most fragile word in the English language is the word now, right? You even whisper it now and it's gone, right? It's the most fragile word that there ever was. And the problem with most people is they never take advantage of now. And when we read that little uh, poster that everybody puts up with the kitty cat on it, it says now, if you do it now, you'd spell backwards, you won, right? I think that's nice. But the truth is, it's not really a competition. So I like to take the letters now, like N-O-W, and I say they stand for no other way. So that's the only thing that you have to work with is now. And so as you leave this show today with Rick and I, I'm telling you, don't just say, well, that was really nice. He said a few nice things. Hopefully, I, you know, I can make some life change, whatever. Sit down. If you say you're going to do it, studies have shown that there's like an 80% chance you'll maybe do something. If you write it down, it bumps up to about 90. But if you actually schedule it or you just simply get started, it rises to the high 98s. Don't just talk about what you'll do. Put it in your schedule. Say, this is when I'm going to do it. Get started. And um, again, start getting momentum rather than motivation. You'll find that the momentum will carry you to higher levels than motivation ever will. I love the uh, no other way that, that just made me flash to burning desire, right? You, you oh, have heck, heck yeah. Burn all the bridges behind you so that, that all you have is the desire to go forward. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I would also kind of share an interesting thought on that. I had one of my top achievers, we, sh we talked about this idea of burning the bridges behind you. And you know what he said? <laughs> he said, be careful. You don't really want to burn them all behind you because some of those people you're going to invite to follow you across the bridge later. Right. So wow. we've got to be careful when we do that. And, and that's the other thing, too, is this definition of toxic people. I know we're, we're running really close on time, but let me share this that I think is really interesting that also a lot of the gurus teach nowadays. They say, get rid of toxic people. And I'm going to share that that's wrong. Certainly get rid of abusive people. But all the top achievers that I interviewed were problem solvers. They didn't run from problems, which basically means this. We don't look at someone who's making us feel uncomfortable. Remember, right or wrong. Right. You can be right or you can be rich. So your ego, if somebody rubs up against our ego, we don't dismiss them because they didn't see eye to eye with us. Right. We're open to receiving people that sometimes are a little rough around the edges. In fact, there's really only two kinds of toxic people. One is a complainer. And the truth is, is unless you have clarity on who you really are, uh, you know, a complainer will knock you off base every time you'll subscribe. The weather's bad. Yep. The weather's bad. If you know who you are, a complainer doesn't matter. 
So the second kind is a critic. And a critic generally, to be honest, has something valuable to say. Sometimes they have facts. Sometimes they can point out flaws. Sometimes they can help you improve. What do we say that sometimes the customer service department is the most valuable because they get the complaints and now we know what to fix. But most people aren't prepared to listen to those kind of concerns. So here's a challenge. Next time you have a critic that comes, listen for the truth in it and just recognize that they're not a a great communicator. That's why it feels not so good, right? That's why it feels a little bit painful because they're not saying it in a way that's easy to receive. But what they're saying, there may be truth. Like, you know, if you look back to your high school days when your mom said, be careful of who you hang around with at lunchtime. Well, there's truth that some of those kids may not have been great, but the way your mom said it sure didn't make you feel good, right? Sure. So we should look to embrace all people. You know, we need to expand. If you want to expand what you have, you have to expand who you are. And that means embracing problems, not running from them. In fact, you're always compensated more if you can embrace and solve problems that you didn't create. So just keep that in mind as well. Well, Doug, we have appreciated this. I've, I've had a ball and we'd love to have you back at some point as well. You're, you're always you. welcome on the show. Thank you. And so we're going to be wrapping it up for this Friday afternoon. Next Friday, you're going to join me right here. Uh, We're going to be talking about the portfolio management dream and and talking about uh, a lot of those executives out there who are trying to to understand, especially with COVID and everything else, uh, what they can accomplish, what they can't accomplish. And and my favorite thing that we say in that is you're picking projects based on what you can spend or what your resources can realistically achieve. We're going to talk about how do you stop the portfolio dream from becoming a nightmare. So that's next Friday right here on the Voice America Business Network. We will talk to you then. Otherwise, we hope that you live your own work-life balance, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit Voice